God, I want to thank you for the love that you have for us. I want to thank you for the blessings that you give us. God, I want to thank you for family. I want to thank you for church family and blood family. Just that uh, that you, you don't allow us to go through this life alone. God, I pray that in those times when, we, when we're feeling like we're, we're in this ourselves, that you would give us a sense of your presence in our life and that you would bring other people around us to travel with us on this journey. And God, as we all gather this morning in different places in our life with different things going on, pray that you would speak your word to each one's heart. That you would minister, God, uh, to those places that we don't even like to admit exist in our heart. That you would bring freedom this morning. That you would bring conviction this morning. That you would bring peace this morning. Most of all, you would bring your love this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work in this place in a powerful way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So last week, we kind of landed on this verse that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, keep my command. And I'll tell you, those words... Hi, Don. How you doing? Oh, hi, Don. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. New here? Yeah, what time does it start? Uh, yeah, you're late. But, but that's okay. Sorry. We love you anyway. Oh. He's moving my, your car? Well, woman, you, made a, you need to park your car in a different place. <laughs> I'm in, just so you know, I'm in trouble when I get home, so pray for me. Anyway, where was I? Um... <laughs> no, yeah, no comfort food for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love you, honey. <laughs> comfort couch, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you know. Sometimes, sometimes as a pastor, you have the Monday morning hangover, and, and you wake up Monday morning, and you go, "Did I really say that?" Oh, and and now it's on tape, and now I'm in trouble. But anyway, so where was I? Oh, if you love me, you'll pray for me. No, you will keep. You will keep my commands. Those are the words for Jesus. And they've been echoing in my head the entire week, or actually for a couple weeks now, because I get to kind of marinate that idea long before I bring it and present it to you. So this thing has just been going over and over in my head, those words, very simple verse. If you love me, keep my commands. And and I've, I've begun to come to the realization that in the course of every day, Every day that we live our lives, there are instances when we speak words, when we, when we do stuff, when we're engaging in things. And, and all these little moments in time that are taking place around us and that we are taking place in, we have one of two decisions to make in our words, in our actions, and in our thoughts. We can decide to push towards and follow Jesus or not. It's, it really comes down to to one of the one or the other. And I have become painfully aware in my own life of those times that I go in the opposite direction of Jesus. That I say the wrong thing, that I do the wrong thing, that I act in the wrong way. And I have begun more and more to check myself, my motives, my actions, my words against 
the gospel to deepen my relationship with Christ. And so I am learning to, to open my heart just a little bit more, to open my spirit just a little bit more, to open my mind to the things of God and to the movement of God. I mean, I want to, I want to listen better before I speak. I want to listen to the prompting of the spirit more before I actually go and do something. I want to be led by God instead of me trying to lead God or pull him along with me. And I believe it comes when I allow the spirit of God to penetrate my soul. Allow the word of God to sink deep into my head, to mold and to shape me. And as painful as it may be, even to break out that hammer and chisel and start to get to work. And what I'm learning is those times come when I put myself in a position of surrender. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing this a while. And I, am, I feel like I'm just beginning to learn what it means to surrender. What, is, what, is it, what does it look like every day, data, to surrender? And, and then, you know, this, this whole thing about I need to put myself in a place of humility. And what, is, what does true humility really look like? How do we live like that every day? Sometimes I feel like I'm such a rookie at those two things. To allow God to come into my life, I have to surrender and I have to be humble, but Man, I, I wrestle with those. Maybe one or you, one or two of you wrestle with what it means to just give everything up. This week, in my times of just kind of hanging out with God, I came across this verse in Isaiah. And um, I've never been more painfully aware of some of my shortcomings as this verse had, has ministered to me throughout the entire week. And, and this is the verse. It's in Isaiah 30. And it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. <laughs> that verse has been rolling around in my head for the entire week. Let that grab a hold of you and echo in your mind. Let that just kind of speak to you in those times that you need it. Or what I have found, sometimes the word of God will speak to you in the times that you don't want to hear it. And that's what Jesus is going to now speak to his disciples as we move through John 14. This idea of, of how he will help us learn the things that he taught. How he will remind us of the things that he spoke. That he is not going to leave us as orphans. That he is going to give us something to help us out in this journey. Something that will continue to mold and shape us. Something that will continue to work in our lives. John 14, verses 25 and 26. These are the words of Jesus. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We're in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. There's only 21 chapters in this, in this book. Jesus, his life is coming to an end. These are really the last moments 
He knows what's going to happen. He knows what, what he is about to go through. He's painfully aware of the trauma, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that he is about to endure for us. Remember, he is going to take the full wrath of God upon his shoulders for me and for the entire world. But his attention and his care goes out to his disciples. And he will tell them once again that the Father is going to send the advocate for for us, that we would not live as orphans, but the Father is going to send the advocate. And some of your translations, some of your Bibles, it might have the word comforter in that place instead of advocate, but it doesn't, the, the word in the Greek really doesn't have anything to do with being comforted. The word is parakletos, and it means one who would plead the case of another before a judge. It means um, counsel for defense or someone who would, who would intercede for someone. Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we understand that the Holy Spirit is um, this force of God that empowers the, the follower of Christ to move through this life and to live this journey of faith. Even, even empowering uh, believers to, to perform miracles. And, and this is very, very true. And in, in John, in this, this part of his gospel, this is most the, complete, the most complete description that we have of the Holy Spirit that he, that he has written. And he is going to tell us what the advocate will do for us. Now, understand that as John writes, he, he presents this very high standard for the follower of Jesus. Very high standard. And the realization is that we cannot live in that standard. But like we talked about last week, that does not give us an excuse to make poor decisions. But the truth that John is getting at is that we have someone who is pleading our case before God on our behalf. That as the accuser stands and accuses us of all of the things that we do wrong, we have an advocate that pleads the blood of Jesus for us. And that we can know forgiveness. And we cannot be condemned. But there's something else that the Spirit is doing here. And I would, I would say it's got to be one of the single most powerful things that God's Spirit can do in the life of the believer. And that is, He teaches... He reminds. He teaches and he reminds. Let me, let me, let me just give you an example again of, of my week. Repentance and rest are your salvation. Quietness and trust are your strength. That verse has been with me for an entire week. I've read a lot of the Bible this week. I'm doing that whole thing we did two years ago with reading. You know, so I've read a lot of stuff, a lot of chapter, a lot of verse. The only thing that really sticks into my mind is that very simple verse. Repentance and rest are your salvation. Quietness and trust are your strength. And, and, it, and it hasn't just been there randomly. In those moments in time of this week when I needed to repent, I heard that verse. In moments in time when I needed the rest of God, I heard it. When I needed to be quiet, when I needed to trust, I heard this verse. 
And it was this constant reminder of the word of God. And I felt myself deepening my relationship with Christ, moving me along in the direction of Jesus. This was and is the spirit at work in my life this week. One verse, one verse over and over again. Oh, Dennis, yeah, mm, not so good there. Repent, rest, need to trust. Quiet, quiet. And, and I learned that there's a lot of different meanings to quiet this week. It's not just shut your mouth, which I need to learn how to do more often. There's a quietness in the heart that, 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 is, that it comes from trust, and trust quiets the heart, and the quietness is, is just trust in this whole, this whole kuna matata circle thing going on, you know? And I'm just like, oh, what is the work of the Spirit in my life this week? And for every follower of Jesus, this should be common experience. This should be something that, that as you're going through your days and you have to deal with stuff and thoughts come into your head and all of these things are pushing and pulling you, that you would be reminded, that you would respond with, with, with something that is written in the Bible, that you would be reminded of a verse that you have read that some biblical principle would come to mind or you would think, wow, Jesus handled this in this way. Because that is the Spirit active in your life, reminding you and teaching you. See, the Holy Spirit is not the substitute for Christ. It's his emissary, sent to continue his work just as Jesus taught that the kingdom of God was at hand and he spoke truth into the lives of the people that he came in contact with, so too will the Spirit reveal the kingdom of God to us and speak truth into our lives, whether you like it or not. And many times that truth hurts and it pushes against everything that you stand for. It's the Spirit of God. Conviction prompting, being led, pointing you to biblical principles. Is the Holy Spirit at work for you, in you, with you every day? Because see, there's a flip side to this whole thing. And, and I've come across it because I'm guilty of living it. You know, you know in that, that instance where, where you think, I got this, I got this all figured out. I don't need any reminding or teaching in this area of my life. I can handle this. And the only conviction that you actually have is the conviction that you got this. You really don't need any help. You don't need to go to the Bible. You don't need to really pray about this because, you know, God really is not too good at answering the prayers that, well, at least I pray anyway, because I have specifics that I want God to come up with. And, you know, sometimes he's just, I don't know, he's out to lunch or something, and he just doesn't quite listen to me. So I got this. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're involved in something. And it could be something very important. And not once do you think about God's perspective. Not once do you go to him in prayer. There's no conviction. There's no repentance. There's no, maybe you've treated someone wrong, even just cruel. And there's no looking for forgiveness. See, I would say that the Spirit of God is not alive and well in your life because it's it's. It's in those moments that he is moving you more and more in the direction of Christ. And so you have to put yourself, listen to me, you have to put yourself in the position of listening, obeying. You have 
to put yourself in a position to listen and obey. Every believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of the way has been given the advocate that he will plead your case before God and the accuser will have nothing on you because of the blood of Christ. And every follower of Jesus has the spirit to teach and to remind us of what it looks like to move in God's kingdom. These are the words of Christ. This is his, this is his promise. I mean, do you know what conviction really is? I mean, I know that's a, a really cool word we like to throw around in church world. You know, church world. Do you know what it really is? All it is? Conviction is the spirit reminding you that you made the wrong choice. It's very simple. It's all it is so simple, yet so weighty in our lives. And if the Spirit of God is not alive and well in your life, you have to ask yourself, why not? Why not? Could it be, could it be that you have no relationship with Christ? I mean, you believe, and that's good. And we talked about that last week, remember? Even, even the devil believes. But do you, do you have a relationship Christ in your life? Or, or maybe, maybe you do have that relationship, but you have just grown really, really good at ignoring that voice. You have chose to walk in an opposite direction. You have not chosen the path of Christ. You've chosen the path of you. And this is, this is something that's very important for us to get a hold of. I mean, I know that we like to think of the Spirit of God doing all these amazing, miraculous things, and, and, and I get that, but man, if we're, not, if we're not living our life by the promptings of God every day, like in the small things, in the words that you speak, in the actions that you do, in the thoughts that you have every day, you really think he's going to turn us on to the big stuff. Really? This is important for us. The church is the Spirit. God, alive and well in your life. Only you can answer it. Jesus will tell his disciples this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The word peace that Jesus uses here is the Greek word irene. And that word means peace. I mean, it's, it's not really difficult. It also means security, safety, prosperity. It, it has this idea of the absence of conflict. But Jesus was Jewish. And in the Hebrew, there's a different word that they would use for peace. And it is shalom. And shalom means those things that the Greek word does mean, but it's something, it goes much deeper. There's an idea of, of soundness and completeness and welfare and contentment and friendship. All of these things are wrapped up in the idea of shalom. In fact, it's, it's the same word that's used in Numbers chapter 6 in this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace or give you Shalom. And Jesus tells his disciples, it is shalom I leave with you, my shalom I give you. 
But this is, this is something very different than what they're used to. This is something different from what they have been given in the past. And I think it's important that we, we kind of land on this and spend a little time here. And I owe, um, I owe a lot of my thoughts to this to a book by a rabbi that I've read um, years ago, actually. It's called Biblical Visions of Shalom. Um, I can't remember his name, but, but, but these are, these are uh, what I've been able to gather from rabbinic writings about the shalom of God and how it actually relates to Christ. Now, there is this vision that runs throughout the entire Bible. And it's the idea that all of creation will come under the headship of God. And and the whole Bible kind of reflects this whole idea, this whole vision. And as we move into the New Testament, we see that, that God's plan is to bring all of creation under his headship through Jesus Christ. And so we have these ideas, these biblical ideas of of love and loyalty and truth, grace, light, salvation, justice, blessing, righteousness, all of these things that we just take for granted and all these words that we just kind of throw out there and use as followers of Jesus, as Christians. And they can all just kind of be lumped into one word. And that word is shalom. Shalom is God's original plan. It is the way that he has intended creation to be. It pushes back the darkness. It it pushes against our human tendencies for, for division and for hostility and for fear and for misery. All of these things that are just weights upon us, the shalom of God just pushes against those things. It's, it's God's plan for one community embracing all of creation through relationship with Christ. In Ephesians, it would say it this way, for he, Jesus, is our peace who made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Jew and Gentile coming together, different people coming together in one community under the headship of God through relationship with Jesus Christ. It's God's vision throughout the entire Bible. And the New Testament, or I'm sorry, the Old Testament, God would describe shalom this way. This is out of Ezekiel. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in their in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them, they will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of nations. This is God's vision of peace for his people. And this is what Jesus is offering to us, to, to, to the church, to his followers. It is well-being in the midst of threats and of, and of just difficulty. It's, it's well-being in the midst of sword and drought. And I know that today we don't get attacked very often by swords. 
or we don't experience drought, but, but we can think about those times in our lives where things have pierced us just like a sword would, or those times of just drought in your own life where it just, it feels like the life has just been sucked out of you. God is offering well-being in those times. This is not some feel-good, come-and-go thing. Ultimately, the shalom of God is this. It is salvation. It is salvation. Salvation in the places of life where there's anxiety, where there's brokenness and darkness, where you will struggle for survival. It's salvation in those times when you're dealing and fighting against temptation. This is something that's very, very personal between God and his people. Something that he has offered them in the Old Testament that Jesus offers to his disciples that he's speaking to them. And I believe that he continues to offer us today. You know, and, and as I think through this whole um, text that we're going through in John 14, and we're going to start 15 next week, imagine what the disciples are experiencing right now. I mean, they have, they understand and they have been taught all of their life what the Messiah should look like, what the Messiah is going to do. These are Jewish men, and they have been instructed in the ways of the prophets. They know what, how this is supposed to unfold. And Jesus will continue to dismantle their idea of the Messiah, even of their faith. Everything they've been taught is beginning to unravel for them. They have left everything to follow him. They have put their trust in what he was telling them, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is who he said he was. And now they're just sitting back going, what is happening and they're trying to make sense of it. And they have to be nervous. They have to be scared, confused. They're looking for answers. Have you ever felt that way? Fear. And I know in the Bible says we're not supposed to be afraid. But fear is something that's very real to us. And confusion and nervousness and anxiety. We all experience those things. Our story is the story of the disciples and their story is our story. We are one because we're part of this thing called humanity. And they were part of the brokenness and we are part of the brokenness. And Jesus will say, shalom, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. But not as the world gives because this is something new that's taking place. This is about a time when all of creation, like it says in Romans, all of creation is groaning right now. It's just waiting for the children of God to be revealed. But this is a time when all of creation will once and for all end in all of its hostilities and will ease up in the destructive patterns that we all just take for granted every day. And if you don't think that these patterns are alive and well, just look back to last week when all those people lost their lives, that little nine-year-old girl. Man, if, if the world doesn't need Jesus more now than ever, I, I don't know, man. I, and I look at that, and I'm just broken over the brokenness that we see in the world. You see, shalom is, the peace that Jesus is offering is the rejection, the rejection of values and lifestyles that look 
for security, that look for its well-being in ways that manipulate people, ways that manipulate and take advantage of people and even take advantage of creation. Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace, my vision of well-being for the community, for humanity that plays itself out when they follow the plan of God. The disciples must just be scratching their head. I mean, just just a few verses ago, just a few moments ago in in the story, Jesus said, yeah, I'm not going to show myself to the world. And they thought, that's what the Messiah does. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to just stand out there and go, ta-da, I am here. And this guy isn't even going to do that. And they must be scrambling for like, what is going on? Jesus says, I'm going to give you something, but not as the world gives. He is taking apart the old world system of things and he's bringing in new life and a new faith. He is creating a new world. He's creating a new humanity. And as we begin to engage that peace, that newness, you will find yourself pushing against the world at large because we are called to engage in a different way than the world engages in. We are called to engage in the kingdom of heaven. And many, many don't understand that. And the world order of today pushes against that. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you something that is going to be very new, that the world has never seen, that, that, that the, I'm going to give you the way in a way that the world will not give to you. Now, look at what it says in, in the book of Revelation. This is the last book in the Bible, almost the last chapter. These are the words of Jesus. He said, he who is seated on the throne, this is about Jesus, I'm sorry. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And this idea of Jesus making everything new was spoken long before the book of Revelations. He spoke it right to his disciples when he said, I am going to give you peace, but I'm going to give it in a way that you have never seen before because the gospel is about new life and new patterns of living and new harmonies to walk in in the kingdom of God. And the world will push against it. The world doesn't really like new. It likes to keep things all night, nice and tidy just the way they are. Because even, even the comfort of dysfunction, I mean, I'm sorry, even dysfunction is comfortable than the possibility of something new that you have no idea how that's going to feel and look like. And many people will stay in dysfunction because they know it. It's comfortable and they, and they know what's going to happen. But newness, newness is, is scary. But we, as the followers of, that's what we're called to. The followers of Jesus are called to, to push back the darkness with the peace of God and offer the newness that the gospel will bring. It's what we're called to do. And so we, we live in this broken world and we see brokenness all around us and darkness all around us. And so we, church, live by what is promised and not necessarily by what is possessed. We live in expectation, but not an expectation of the world, what the world will give us, but what Christ will give us. Because the peace of God is scary. 
It is a scary thing because it pushes against everything that the world considers right. It pushes against everything that the world has accepted. It pushes against the establishment, if I can sound a little freaky on that. You know what I mean? I mean, it pushes, it just rides against everything. But we're not to, we're not to come at it as arrogant. We know better. We got it together. We are to come at it as we're broken. But we just want to help. And we just want to give you the newness and the peace of God. You know, in the book of Exodus, as, as the Israelites were in captivity and uh, they wanted to get out and that whole story of, of their, their exodus, Pharaoh, he managed the old world order. He needed to keep things just like they were. He wanted to keep a handle on his kingdom and everything was all just fine and dandy until this guy Moses steps up because God called him and Moses was the voice of the promise of God's peace. Moses was the voice of God's shalom and it terrified the old way of doing things. So much so that Pharaoh wanted to kill it. And then fast forward a a, a long time and we get to the days of Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they need to keep things the way they are. They have control. It's going well for them. They're making money. They have the people kind of subdued and following them. They are the bigwigs in town and they do everything they can just to hold on to the way, the old way that things were. And then Jesus just comes to town and begins to rip things apart and dismantle everything that they have followed for for a really long time. Jesus is the promise of God's shalom revealed in the world. When he said the kingdom is at hand, he meant it. Jesus walked in the kingdom and he gave it to the world. Peace, I give you my peace and leave with you. You know, when it, when it comes down to it, it comes down to this. Jesus told his disciples, man, you guys have seen nothing yet. There is so much more that I'm going to do. There is so much more that I am offering to you. And I believe that promise goes for us today. There's so much more that Jesus will one day do because the peace that he offers is the celebration of the promise that is to come, that God is in charge, that darkness has been overcome, and death has once and for all been defeated. The kingdom of God is truly at hand, and God's plan, God's plan will succeed. Nothing can stand against it. Nothing can come against it. It will all fail because God will be victorious. And so we we live in a world that that's not fully recognized yet. That hasn't been fully realized yet. But I'm telling you that the promise of God and his shalom that, that Jesus will, is leaving with us will one day fully restore all of creation and creation will once and for all be set free. And heaven crashes into earth and we live forever in the kingdom. And as a Jesus follower, you have been called to live in this, this new thing 
the peace of God, the shalom of God. You have been called. You have been called to leave behind the old patterns of your life. You have been called to leave behind your favorite fears and your favorite angers and those favorite things that frustrate you. You've been called to leave those behind and walk in the newness that Jesus is offering. Shalom and peace, that's new age stuff and not the freaky new age that we think about out there. But this is something that Jesus wants to do new every single day in your life. Every day that your feet hit the ground, Jesus and the Spirit of God want to breathe something new into your life. And little by little, we will walk in that newness. And little by little, our life will begin to reflect life Christ. That's the spirit at work. That is the peace of Jesus. That is the shalom of God. It's new life and new blessing and new salvation and righteousness. All of these things just wrapped up into God's gift to us, the church. And as we wrestle in this world, and as, as things come at us, and as sometimes you're feeling you're just, you're just a wall safe, just getting hit with so many different combinations, and you can't stand up, and you can't take another shot, and you just can't take another step, and you just want to be done. Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He has given us the advocate. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to remind and teach us. And he has given us his peace and not as the world gives. And you can bank on that. You could take that promise to heart and you can bet your life on it. God, you know, sometimes um, it's hard. It's hard to listen to the Spirit and to obey. It's hard not to just to get nervous and shaken. It's hard not to let our hearts be troubled. But we know that you have overcome all of that, that junk in our lives. And so, God, we just, you know, I just take a minute right now and just, if, man, if there's something that you are holding on to, if there's something that is just not right in your life, repent. Repent and rest because there is where your salvation is. Maybe you just need to quiet your heart this morning. Trust. That's where your strength is. So if there's something going on, just take a minute and deal with it right now.
Now may you live your life every day in the power of the Spirit and with the peace of God. Amen.